So we are in the book of Ephesians, and I, I love uh, the book of Ephesians. I love how richly packed these verses are. This is why, uh, much to many of your chagrin, we're kind of walking slowly through this book of the Bible, because I think there's just so much in, in, in each verse in Ephesians for us to, to unpack and to think through and to know what God is trying to speak. And so uh, for the first three chapters of Ephesians, we, we got this big picture of God and the gospel, and it was beautiful, and it, it was motivating. We got to see all these great things about what God has done through Jesus. And then now on ch- in chapter four, what you're going to see for the last three chapters of Ephesians is kind of... A a gospel-centered motivation, a, a, a grace-centered motivation to, to live for Christ, to look right, like Christ, to obey God, to look godly. And so we're going to see that. So last week we had uh, Pastor Seth from Redemption Gateway come up, and man, he did a phenomenal job. I feel like it was one of my favorite sermons I've heard uh, in a long time. And uh, he, he talked about how this opening, these opening verses of chapter 4 just give us a picture of, of unity in the church, how we're going to have to bear with one another in love. I love how he spoke to that, that Paul didn't mince words, that he said sometimes being the people of God is difficult and it will take some bearing. And then uh, also he talked about how we need patience, humility, gentleness, uh, to do this well. And so he also pushed us towards seeking unity and reconciliation in our midst, just like Jesus uh, pushed us to, to even stop uh, giving our gift at the altar and to go be right with our brother or sister uh, before worshiping him. And so Seth pushed us to that as well. And so I, I highly suggest to go back and listen to that sermon because I, I, I heard so many people in our church talk about how timely they felt that message was for them, how many people thought that that message was for them specifically and the things they're going through. And so um, I think the Holy Spirit was really speaking through Seth. And so we got this beautiful picture of unity and how we're supposed to operate in patience and humility and gentleness towards one another. And this week, what we're going to see is what does God give us to walk this out? What does God give you and me to be able to walk out this unity, which is very often so difficult, okay? Before we go there, though, I want to tell a story of one of the worst mistakes I ever made. It was Christmas 1992. I was a child, and we just had the most amazing Christmas ever. We got all the gifts we want. My mom used to give us the Toys R Us ad and just say, circle things, rest in peace, Toys R Us. And um, we would just circle things, and my mom would spoil us, and so she would get us all kinds of gifts. So I got, I got the Aladdin on the magic carpet. I got the Megatron tank form. I got everything that I could want. And then I made the, hu- the biggest mistake of my childhood, is I looked at my sister's gifts, and I looked at my gifts, and I decided to do something I should not have d- done. I counted how many gifts she got, and I counted how many gifts I got, and she got a few more than me. So that resulted in me crying and, and whining and fussing and saying, why did she get more than me? She, you guys always love her more. This kind of, this kind of stuff. And uh, my mom heard me crying, and she comes up to me, and she's like, what's going on, Anthony? Why are you crying? You just got the Megatron tank for him. What's going on? And I, I was like, well, Mom, I, just, I counted all our gifts, and, and my sister got a few more than me. And my mom said, oh, really? 
And I said, yeah, really? I, I don't know if you knew that. <laughs> like, but it's imbalanced. And, and she goes, that's awesome. You know what, Anthony? I don't want you to grow up to become a spoiled brat. So guess what? From now on, every Christmas, only three gifts or one big gift. And I said, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> I, no, I'm cool. It's great. Thank you. Like, and that, and like, I, I sobered up from my tears real quick. And I was just like, no, mom, please. I was just kidding. But then from that day forward, my mom was always intentional about the gifts she gave us at Christmas. She made sure we only got one big gift or three small gifts because she didn't want my little heart to become this spoiled adult one day. I don't know if it helped, but she didn't want me to become this entitled person. And I, I really didn't like that day, and I remember just, like, all through my childhood going, man, I ruined it. I ruined it for all of us, right? But what I didn't know was that my mom was giving me a picture of God that day. Because God, actually, what we're going to see here in Ephesians is God is very intentional with the gifts that he gives us. And the reason he's intentional with those gifts is because of the sort of family that he wants, because of the sort of people that he wants us to become. And so when my mom decided to be, be more intentional with the gifts that she gave us, what she wanted was a trajectory for my life where I wasn't just the worst person ever. And so God, we're going to see, gives us gifts in today's passage, and his intention is, is that we would be the family of God, and we'll get to see what, to, what we can do with these gifts. Okay, and so today, this is what we'll look at, kind of three parts. The first part is we're just going to see that God gives gifts to the church. And then the second part is what are we supposed to do with these gifts? And then the third part is what is the result when we use these gifts? What is the result? What will the family look like? What, what is God's intentions there? All right, so let's hop into it. We're in Ephesians chapter 4. If you need a Bible, um, it's too late. I should have announced it earlier. So if you need a Bible, download one on your phone. Um, it's always so awkward when we offer it anyway. So if you need a Bible, you can also come up and grab one. So we're in Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to be in verse 7, and we're going to go through 14 today. But this first little portion, we're going to read verse 7 through 11. This is what it says. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. Let's stop there. So Paul opens up verse 7 by saying, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. So it, it could be easy to think that Paul is talking about salvific grace there, the grace that saves us, that the unmerited favor of God to just save us because of the work of his son. But when you look at uh, the Greek there and kind of the phrasing there, most theologians and commentators and scholars would say um, he's actually talking more about a gift, that, that God gives us a gift. And, and you can kind of see that espoused further in verse 7, that that is the measure of Christ's gift. And so Paul opens verse 7 by saying, Everybody in the church is given a gift. Christ, in his wisdom and knowledge, which we've talked about a lot in Ephesians, gives each and every believer a gift of some sort. 
So what are these gifts? What are these gifts that Paul is talking about here? Okay, he is talking, I think he's talking about the gifts of the Spirit. Now, unfortunately, I, I don't know what happened, but over the course of my lifetime, the gifts of the Spirit is like one of the most contentious and controversial topics you can bring up uh, in the church. I, I, I don't know what happened. I think a few churches went rogue and we all freaked out. But the gifts of the Spirit, I think, are a good thing. I think they continue today. How does that all look? Do I think it looks exactly like Acts? I don't know. Sometimes yes, sometimes no. And so right here, though, in Ephesians 7, verse 7, Paul is saying that Christ has given each of us a gift of the Spirit, that every single believer has a gift of the Spirit. Now, I think it's important that we know and think about the gifts because the rest of the passage that we go over today won't make a lot of sense unless we think through the idea that, that God has us as Christians operating out of the gifts that he's given us. So I wanted to give a quick list of all the gifts of the Spirit listed in the New Testament. So here's all the gifts. There might be one or two I missed, but I'm pretty sure this is it. Um, there's prophecy, there's teaching, there's miracles, there's kinds of healing, there's helps, there's administration, there's tongues, there's interpretation of tongues, there's words of wisdom, there's a word of knowledge, there's faith, there's discernment, there's evangelizing, there's shepherd teaching, there's serving, there's encouraging, there's contributing or contributing, I don't know how to say words, uh, leadership, mercy, marriage, celibacy, everybody's favorite, and speaking. Single people are like, it is not a gift, or it's one of those ones I need the gift receipt for. Um, I want to give it back, um, and you shouldn't. Uh, so those are, those are just all the gifts that I know of listed in the New Testament. Now, I think it's important for us to, to look at those and then to ask ourselves the question, what gift has God given me? So if, I want each of you guys to just kind of take a moment and think, what gift of the Spirit has God gifted you with? Now, uh, notice, notice things about that list. Some of the things on the list are, are very supernatural, right? Like tongues, prophecy, healing, miracles, all that stuff, very, very uh, supernatural type stuff. But then a, a lot of the list was very just normal, natural things like helps and administration and leadership and mercy and celibacy, okay? And so I just want to push that. That's a gift. And so these, so when you think through what kind of gift you have, realize it doesn't have to be like you're like just healing people all the time. It could be as easy as just serving and helping and caring for one another, right? Like this morning, I got to experience the gifts of the Spirit in our church when they all offered to help and serve and make sure we still had a service even though the power was out. And so I want you guys to think through what gifts has God given you? If that's difficult for you and you're like, I'm, I'm not really sure, or you're like, I feel like I have these gifts, I just want you to think through a few of these questions. Questions First, what are you good at? Just what are you good at? I think that often, sometimes the things that you're good at is what God has gifted you in. All right, And I don't know, maybe it's not one you're like, I'm not good at prophecy, Anthony. But, or, but I think that sometimes that how it works is God just kind of gifts you and you're able to do some of these things. And maybe you're like, well, I'm really good at this. And it isn't exactly one of those terms you used. And maybe it just fits in one of those terms. I don't think it has to exactly be one of these terms for sure. I think it 
could be related or in that category. Um, think through, like, if you went to your mentors or people older than you that love you and care about you, and you just said, hey, what, what sort of giftings do you think God has given me? Ask them that question. What would they say? Uh, go through that with them. Ask the people in your redemption community or that you do community with. Who, what would they say you're gifted at? What, what sorts of things do you do well? All right, and I just really want us to sit with that and think through that because the rest of uh, this passage in Ephesians is going to talk about how we use our gifts in the church. And so I think it's important for the community of God to realize what sort of gifts they have because even Paul, when he's talking about the gifts there in the verses, he begins to say all this stuff about ascending and descending and he quotes this stuff and like all these things. What he's quoting there is Psalm 68. And in Psalm 68, it is a psalm of God's victory, God's victory over Israel's enemies. And it's a, it, that part that he quotes is, is a, a verse in that psalm where God, part of his victory is he triumphs over the enemies and he gives gifts to all the people. And so Paul is connecting that verse to Christ's work. He's connecting that verse to Christ's victory over sin and death. This is a big reason why I think the gifts still exist today is because so often it is just very biblical to realize that Christ's victory is seen in how the church uses their gifts, okay? And so uh, think through that and uh, just sit with that, okay? So we read up to verse 11, and verse 11 is where it starts to get fun and, and, and controversial too sometimes. And, and so verse 11 talks about the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the, the shepherds, and the teachers. So um, there, a lot of people, honestly, there's a wide range of thought on this verse. And so I'll just say that. I'm going to say what I think today. I could be wrong. I could get to heaven and, and we find out I'm wrong. That's okay. Um, but I'm going to tell you from, from like hours of study on this where, where I kind of landed on this. Some people in the church, they think these are the offices of the church. Like these are the what uh, kind of leadership roles always should be in the church. Some people think it's just a, a lift, list of, of giftings. Um, some people think it, it speaks to like the historical trajectory of the church. Like there are certain things that happen throughout the history of the church and, and, and we're in one of those things. Um, some refer to it as the, like, the five-fold uh, ministry of the church. And so I, I just say all that because you've probably been taught something about this verse or nothing about this verse. And so this verse might seem really weird to you, or it might seem um, like, oh, man, I've never seen this before. Or you might have made up your own mind about this verse. And, and I think we've kind of just taken this verse and, and we've looked at it um, too deeply. We've made it too difficult or too weird sometimes. And so I think what Paul is saying here is he sees that the church is gifted, right? And they have giftings. And then he sees people operating out of their giftings. And I do think he gave some of these people with the certain types of giftings uh, that, that they had, that he gave them these kind of different titles. And I think this is really how Paul sees God functioning in the church and moving through the people of God. Okay, and so here's, I'm just going to go through this list really quick so we can clear up any terms or anything that might seem strange or weird. So that first term, apostles, um, in the Bible, there kind of is two sorts 
of apostles. There's uh, the apostles that Jesus chose, and Paul uh, later became an apostle. And these were uh, the men that, that taught the church and spoke the word of God in the early church and wrote down the word of God. They're the ones that hung out with Jesus. These are the early uh, uh, apostles. This is, we would say that there's apostolic authority uh, in a sense, like we would say that the Bible has an apostolic authority because it was written by people that either were with Jesus or like Paul saw Jesus in a vision and, and this sort of thing. But the thing about that is Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, he kind of says like, I was the last of these. And so you kind of think that Paul believed that he was the, the last apostle of this sort. But then you kind of see this word apostle being used in different ways in the New Testament. And this sort of apostle is, is the one that I think Ephesians is talking about. And I think, again, it's how I think God sees the church operating out of its gifts and different people having functions, like on a team, right? Like you have, a, if you're ever on a, any sort of sports team, your job on your team, like your point guard or shooting guard or small forward or center or power forward, something like that. Who cares about the other sports? Only basketball. And, and I think that's kind of what's going on here. And so this other sort of apostle is, is the kind of person that's operating out of their gifts in the church where they care about the comprehensive mission of God in the world. So they're thinking holistic mission uh, of the church. Like they're, they're, this is what I think apostolic ministry is. And so you kind of see this in the New Testament with like traveling missionaries are sometimes called apostles or church planners are called apostles because they had this comprehensive uh, view of God's mission in the world. And then they also helped bring about that con comprehensive mission. And so kind of today how I think that looks like is like um, redemption as a whole, our, our vision for the state of Arizona is that we would birth and strengthen local churches across the state of Arizona. That is a comprehensive view. And, and guys like Pastor Tyler Johnson, who's kind of like the lead pastor of all the lead pastors, he, he has a big part in thinking through the comprehensive mission. I would say even his ministry is somewhat apostolic in a sense. Okay, The next part is prophets. So prophecy in the Bible, I think it kind of looks a couple different ways. I think sometimes it's like this insight uh, into, into God's word. Sometimes I think it's this insight into what God's doing uh, like in that present time. And so think, I think the guy's name Agabus who sees Paul and says, Paul, you're going to get bound up. He takes his belt off even, really awkward, binds himself up and says, this is what's going to happen to you in Jerusalem. There's no Bible verse besides that Bible verse, I guess, that would have said that, but it was God just giving this guy a particular insight. I think this prophecy, though, again, is talking about the function of God's church and the trajectory of God's church and people. And so I think it's actually speaking more to the, to the people in the church that, that keep the church that centered on God, that they have this kind of uh, prophetic voice in the church that they often can see where, where we're strained or where we need to come back to obeying God or following God or loving God, where they can kind of see what's going on in our times and places and speak uh, God's word to those things. So I think that's kind of what's being talked about there, although it could be some talking about some of that uh, particular insight stuff that I think God does give to his people today. And so prophets keep the church centered on God. A little note, this is just Anthony right now. A little note, um, every church I've been at, I think there's probably a handful of people that think they're a prophet. 
And they would maybe even use that terminology. And here's, here's what I want to say. Often, those people in the churches I've been in uh, are very opinionated, very mean, very harsh. It's their way or the highway. And I would just say, maybe you're not a prophet. Maybe you're just opinionated. <laughs> because <laughs> to be a prophet, I think you have to listen to what Paul was just saying three verses earlier. You should be humble, not self-righteous. You should be patient, not just so angry that the church isn't doing what you want them to do. You should be gentle instead of harsh, patient, long-suffering like God is long-suffering. So if you fancy yourself like, man, I'm a prophetic voice in the church, maybe. I don't know. You're not very nice. Um, sorry. That's my own baggage coming out. Um, Next is evangelists. These are simply just the people that, so we have people that think through the comprehensive mission, the apostles. We have uh, the prophets that think through uh, kind of like uh, keeping the people of God centered on him. Then we have the evangelists who take all that and they proclaim the gospel. They preach to the world who God is. They're the ones going to the least, the last, the lost. They're the ones bringing in often the lost into the church. Now, we're all called to evangelism, but I think there are, like I talked about a few weeks ago, I think there are some people that are just gifted at it a little bit more. And then when the evangelists bring in the least, the last, the lost in the church, we need shepherds and teachers. Now, a lot of uh, theologians think this is one word, like shepherd teachers. I tend to side with them, but even if it isn't, what Paul is saying is that the church needs people to guide them. The church needs people to teach them. Think of uh, Priscilla and Aquila who, uh, or Aquila or however you say it who saw Apollo's teaching in Acts and, and he's teaching stuff that's okay but not great. And so they kind of bring him in and, and disciple him and teach him. They were shepherding him. They were teaching him. And so I think this is how uh, the, the community of God, when they see their giftings, I think these five things that are listed here, I think these are kind of more the, the leadership-type gifts that Paul saw in the church, the leadership-type functions that Paul saw in the church. And so I think, it, again, even though I said it's, it's really important that that we sit on and think through what has God gifted me in. Don't pigeonhole yourself and say, I have to be this, have this apostolic ministry or I have to be an evangelist or a prophet or a shepherd or a teacher. I think there, as we read that list earlier, there's a lot more gifts in the Bible. And so I think Paul is simply just saying in this opening few verses where he goes, the whole church is gifted and then some of the leaders of the church function in this way, Okay. And so that's what we're left with. That's kind of the first part of the sermon, that, that the whole church is gifted. And we're working as a team, and we use our gifts in different ways. And now verse 12 is going to show us what does a healthy church look like, and what are we supposed to do with our giftings? Okay, verse 12. So he just listed in verse 11, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers, those leader types of the church. Verse 12, the leader types are to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Let's read that again. To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. So a healthy church that has gifts looks like a church, in one in which the leaders operating out of their giftings 
equip everyone to do ministry. Every single person. Now that word saints in there is not super Christians. If that's kind of your tradition, you think saints means super Christians. Saints in the New Testament is just how Paul often referred to every single believer. Any person that believed in Jesus. One of the places Paul uses this a lot is in Corinthians. And if you ever read through the Corinthians, uh, the letters of, to the Corinthians, they are jacked up. <laughs> they are messed up. You read stuff and you're like, you really did that? And yet Paul still is calling them saints. Now that's important for us to know because what is being called to us here is that the leaders of the church, I mean, would equip every single person of the church to do ministry. Every single person. That word ministry there just means to serve. So the leaders in the church would equip everyone to serve to serve the church, to serve the world, that I, as a leader, my role is to equip you guys to do ministry. Often, this is not what the church looks like. Often, it looks like 20% of the people, and they've done actual studies on this, doing all the work for the church, where you have 20% of the people stepping in and doing everything for the church. But that's not God's vision for the church. God's vision for the family of God is that we would be all operating out of our gifts, serving one another, and serving the world. And that the leaders would come alongside the church and help equip them to do that, help resource them to do that. This is why sometimes we have meetings in our church uh, that, that don't go great, and it's because we're trying to be biblical, so sometimes someone will meet with us and they'll say, hey, I see this really big need in the church. It's this and this and this. Anthony needs to get better at preaching, something like that. And, or I see this really big need in the city and, and, and you need to do this and this and this. And I go, man, that is a really big need. How can we help you to lead that ministry? How can we help, lead or help you to, to do that? Who can we resource you with? Like, who can we put you alongside you on your team? Like, what, do, you, do you need any money, Vince? Do we have any money? 50 bucks? We have 50 bucks uh, for you. That's all we can give you at this juncture. Like, what can we do to resource you to do ministry? And, and a lot of times people are taken back because they go, no, 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 I just, I wanted you to do it. I just, I'm, I'm a prophet. <laughs> and like, and, and, and I go, uh, maybe. Uh, <laughs> And then often, uh, what also happens is often when we look for leaders in our church, we're not looking for the people that are the best at ministry. Because if that's the case, I probably wouldn't even be up here. We're looking for the people that can equip others to do ministry. That doesn't mean the leaders of our church don't do ministry. They do. God has given them their life to steward as well. But often when we look to, to put someone in leadership, we're, our, our, our ideal will be someone that can equip others to do ministry alongside them. And so, so why so often do our churches not operate this way? I grew up in the church. I speak to a lot of you. And our churches don't operate in a way in which everyone is using their giftings to serve the church. Why, when they do those studies, that shows that only around 20% of a church is, is doing the work. And I think it's because of consumerism. I think consumerism has infiltrated our churches. 
If you don't know what consumerism is, I'll tell you. I need a drink first. Um, consumerism is just this idea uh, in the world and in our country that says, hey, uh, you need more and more and more to be happy. You need to consume things in order to get what you need and what you want. You should, you, and you should do that, right? There's different things and different ways our society works in which we purposely make things. It's called planned obsolescence. We make things so they don't last, so someone has to come back around and buy them again, right? That's consumerism. And so I think that that has infiltrated the church. Ideas like the customer is always right. Anyone that's worked in the service industry goes, that's, that's demonic, right? That's evil, right? The customer is often wrong. That's, that's kind of consumerism. Unfortunately, though, that, that idea kind of per, pervades our culture in different places. It, I think we dragged it into the church. And many of us become church consumers. We come to a church in order to consume it. And this is not just the average churchgoer, it's leaders too. And that's why I think so often our churches do not look like one in which the leaders equip the saints to do ministry, where the leaders help the church be the church. We have the reverse. We have people that just want to consume the church and ask, what can I get out of the church? How can you serve me? What can you give me? And so I just want to give some examples of what a church consumer looks like to me. And the reason I want to do this is because I've also seen this in every church I've ever been part of. Often a church consumer looks like someone that makes complaints that all, all the time, really, that always have to do with their experience of church. Never thinking about what other people are experiencing or what their perspectives are, but always their experience of church. And not just a few complaints, a lot of complaints. Or maybe you make a lot of complaints and they're good complaints. Maybe they're biblical complaints because you're a prophet and, or whatever it might be. But you're not even invested in this community. Like they're accurate complaints, but you aren't in a redemption community. Or they're true complaints, but you're not really in any sort of Christian community even. I don't care if you're in a, a redemption community necessarily. I just want you to be in Christian community with your brothers and sisters in this room. That's what a church consumer Looks like often I watch people in this church talk to leaders in our church like they're waiters and waitresses rather than brothers and sisters in Christ. That's what a church consumer looks like. I never got hired for a restaurant, so if you talk to me like that, it's not going to work out. I'm not a good waiter. Maybe you have a another way this looks is like maybe you have a really hard time ever finding a, a church body to be part of. I know finding a church is hard. It's, it's difficult um, to, to kind of see a church where you fit in, where you feel like God's leading you to, but maybe you're the type of person you go six months, find something you dip. Go a year, find something you don't like, and then you dip. Or you hear about something else that sounds better, so you dip. It has nothing to do with where God has led you or where he's put you, but it has to do with what can you get out of your Sunday experience. Maybe some of you don't give, and I'm, I'm not trying to get you to give, not in this sermon at least, but maybe you don't give, and your biggest reason is just because you think we haven't earned it yet. That's church consumerism. 
I think this has invaded the church. And sadly, even though that's kind of what the average churchgoer, church consumer goer looks like sometimes, I think when the leaders are church consumers, it's even worse for the church. It's even more devastating for the body of believers. These are, you see a, a consumeristic leader, they often look like people that use people in their church to build up their platform. They don't ever have real, true friendships and relationships with, uh, with their brothers and sisters in Christ. They just have people that are stepping stones for them. Or they only use the most gifted people in their church or the richest people without ever looking at character or without ever looking at if they actually look like Jesus. Or I know leaders that keep their people dependent on them because they have some sort of savior complex. So the consumerism they're participating in is one which says, you need to give me my satisfaction and needs and, and emotions to make me feel validated in this world. You need to give me my validation. Leaders, church leaders can be consumers too, and it's devastating. And I want to say this because I bet a lot of you have experienced that. I'm sorry. I'm sorry that that's happened. I'm sorry if I've ever done that. I'm sorry if I've let leaders do that. I'm sorry if I've ever allowed that kind of nature to come into the church. But I want you to know this. I want to speak on behalf of the elders and the leaders of this church. That is not our heart. Our heart is to never allow an ounce of consumerism in the leadership. That we would look like the church here in Ephesians. Where we as leaders would look to serve you guys like Jesus said. Jesus said, the greatest among us are those that serve all. That's our hope for leadership. And in the midst of that, as we're serving you, we hope that the way we're serving you is to equip all of you to do the work of the ministry. That's what we hope. We want to be a church that looks like the church that God has in mind. God is intentional with his gifts and how we use them, and I want our church to live that out. Rather than be consumers in the church, we need to be contributors in the church, each and every one of us. So if you're coming here and consuming is your idea, you're just trying to have the best experience possible, I want to say maybe this isn't the church for you because we want a church full of contributors, that looks different for everybody. That doesn't mean you have to do 100 million things. It could be very small little things because of your time and your talents and your resources. But I think God calls the entire church, all the saints, to contribute rather than consume. And when that happens well, look what happens in verse 13. We're going to see in verse 13, what does the family of God begin to look like when they become contributors rather than consumers? And then verse 14, what we're going to see is what the church of God looks like when I think people are consumers rather than contributors. Verse 13 says this, that we would be doing all this work until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to, do, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. 
So verse 13 gives us a picture of what the church looks like when God gives them their gifts and they use them correctly, where leaders are equipping the church and we are all contributors rather than consumers. Okay? It's a church that is mature. It is a mature church that is growing well, and I mean growing well into maturity. It is a church that is unified, that there is unity amongst us. And it is a church that, the part that sticks out to me most, it's a church that knows Christ. It's a church that knows Jesus. Because my own mini goal for my own ministry is I just want people to know Jesus better. Maybe you're lost, I want you to know Jesus better. Maybe you've been a Christian for 50 years, I want you to know Jesus better. That's my hope. Because I know that Jesus is infinite and unending and we can get all that we need or hope or want from him. And when the church uses their gifts well, we'll become a church where people know Jesus well. When we choose to contribute instead of consume, everybody in this room will be affected in a way to where we'll be more unified and where we'll know Jesus more and we'll become more like Jesus was the last thing it mentioned there. Or we can keep consuming. And we get a picture in verse 14 of what that looks like. We're, we're just tossed to and fro. Rather than be mature, uh, kind of uh, spiritual adults or whatever verse 13 is talking about, we're children. And not in the, the good ways that the Bible talks about it. We're tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine and every, every sort of idea or our, our family's influences. And, and, and I think that, that our church struggles with this too. I think we struggle with some immaturity sometimes. And the reason I say that is because probably once a month, a new podcast comes out or a new blog comes out or every few years, a new book comes out. And it takes what is a clear teaching of the Bible and says, no, that's not it. That, that's not it. And many of you go, but Anthony, what about this? And I go, that's not anything close to what Jesus said. Yeah, but in the Greek, yeah, but no. It's because we're immature, right? We want candy rather than vegetables. We're tossed to and fro. Now, there's things in the Bible worth examining and looking at, so hear me there. I'm just talking about there are clear teachings in the Bible that we allow to manipulate us. We get convinced by it. Maybe that's not your thing. Maybe the doctrine isn't your thing. Maybe you, you feel good about where you're at. So often I'm sitting with someone and I'm saying, hey, Christ's way is this, for whatever area they're talking to me about. And they go, yeah, I know, man, let's look at these verses. Yeah, that, that's clearly what Christ would have me do. But my, my mom said this but my dad said this, but my best friend is doing this, but my friend said I should do this, but the counselor school said this, but my coworker said this, whatever it is, and you're like, well, they said this, so I'm just going to do this thing that's easier to do. Human cunning and deceitfulness happens due in part to immaturity in the church, due in part because all of us are choosing to be consumers rather than contributors. 
I think that if the whole church, if 100% of the church chose to be contributors rather than consumers, what you would see is when people began to stray, when people began to not be unified, that, that rather than just the church leaders and pastors coming forward and trying to convince and use apologetics to, to convince that person not to move away, that the rest of the church would be doing that already that they would be formed and conformed by their brothers and sisters in Christ. I think that's why we would get to maturity is because we would have everyone operating the way that God intended. So church, I want a mature church. And I think a mature church looks like one that uses its gifts intentionally to care for one another, to serve one another to love one another, and that the leaders of that church are helping the rest of the church to do that, are equipping the rest of the church to do that well. We are an all-hands-on-deck church. And, and you kind of wonder why. Why did God make it this way? Why, did God, why does God want to use our gifts to do ministry? And I realize it's because that's the gospel story. It is a story of Jesus gifting us with himself. It's the story of God gifting himself to the world. And so when we use our gifts in the world, we're giving a picture of Jesus and who he is. When we're all choosing to serve one another, we are helping the world to see what Jesus is like. Didn't Jesus give us the gift of his holiness? Isn't that incredible? Friends, don't hear me today. You got to do this and you got to do this and you got to do this to get to heaven. No. Jesus has given us his holiness. So when God looks at us, he sees his son rather than me and all my baggage and sin. Didn't Jesus gift us with an escape from death? Like Jesus took on the death that we deserve. And so now when we trust and believe in Jesus and that, one day we'll get to live with Jesus forever. One day we will be resurrected. Maybe if the Lord tarries, we'll see Jesus return. Jesus gifted us with life. Didn't Jesus gift us with his resurrection? I've never met a human that said, hey, I'm going to die really quick and raise myself back up. We can't do it. Jesus did that. And then he said, I'm going to give that resurrection to you guys as well. This is the gospel story in which God uses his gifts not to be served, although we need to serve him, but to serve. And so when the church does this well, we will look like Jesus. We will show the world what Jesus looks like. I want a church like that. I want a church that's full of contributors rather than consumers. Church, do you want that? Let's pray for that. Let's pray for help with that. God, help us. Help us to be a church full of contributors rather than consumers. God, so often I see that consumeristic nature rearing its ugly head in my heart and me just wanting this place to be a place full of my preferences and what I want. And God, I just know that that's not your intent, that you have an intention for this family of God to use our gifts that you've given us, to be thankful for the gifts that you've given us in very intentional ways.
so that the trajectory of our, our hearts is maturity rather than being ch- children. God, help our entitledness that I think pervades our culture right now. Help us to see that we are not entitled, that we have been blessed beyond our capabilities with, with your son. God, help us. Help us to be this sort of church that understands the gifts you've given us and uses the gifts you've given us. And God, help us as leaders to always be leaders that equip the church. Help us to do that, Lord, because often we could just do ministry or we could just seek the things we want. God, help us to be leaders that equip the church to be the church. Each and every leader in here, God, that you know, help them to have that that eye to see where they can equip somebody better. God, we want to be a healthy church. We want to be a church moving towards maturity. But we need you and your spirit. God, we love you. Amen.